This Moment Outdoors is brought to you by L.L. Bean, official partner of the National Park Foundation for the Find Your Park movement. you're of a particular generation, you're likely to remember the Oregon Trail video game. Long before kids were master Minecraft builders or zipping around corners in Mario Kart, they were leaders guiding settlers as they traveled from Independence, Missouri to Oregon's Willamette Valley. The road was tough and you had to make life-altering decisions, decisions that would lead to the success of the party or would lead to dysentery. No one wanted to die of dysentery. But for the real-life 19th century pioneers, the adventure was anything but a video game. If you listen to our two-part series on the Lewis and Clark expedition, then you know that America was longing for an easy route to the Pacific Northwest, and while Lewis and Clark were able to find a passage, it wasn't a realistic one for families and covered wagons. Another route was required. Enter Robert Stewart of the Astorians, part of a group of fur traders who established Fort Astoria on the Columbia River in western Oregon. Stewart became the first white man to use what would become known as the Oregon Trail in 1810. The 2,000-mile journey from Fort Astoria to St. Louis took 10 months to complete, which admittedly was still a decent chunk of time, yet it was less rugged than Lewis and Clark's route, and it was accessible to covered wagons. It was a game-changer. The white man saw this land as wild and untamed, a collection of resources to be claimed and inhabited. Many indigenous tribes saw it as their home. The arrival of those from the east would be the beginning of the end of the Native American way of life. Yet it would be another 26 years before the first wagons would carve a trail towards Oregon country. A missionary party, headed by Marcus and Narcissa Whitman, set out to reach the Willamette Valley, in March of 1836, eventually settling in eastern Washington in September of that year. During that time, Narcissa kept a journal at the suggestion of her mother, whom she would never see again. In it, she writes to her family of life on the trail, of the oppressive heat, the difficult terrain, the joys, and her faith. I'm Jason Epperson, and on this episode of the America's National Parks podcast, the Whitman National Historic Site and our slightly edited version of the August 1836 journal entries from a woman who would hold many firsts as she made her way on foot towards the Pacific Northwest. Coming off of three days of vocal rest to get this belated episode finished, here's the recovering voice of Abigail Trebu. Thank you. 
August 7th. Came 15 miles without seeing water. Over a dry, parched earth covered with its native sage as parched as the earth itself. Heat excessive but mitigated with a gentle breeze. We have encamped on a fine place. Plenty of good grass for our weary animals. Thus are blessings so mingled that it seems as if there were nothing else but mercy and blessings all the way. August 8th, Monday, Eve, Snake River. Have an excellent campground tonight. Plenty of excellent feed for our horses and cattle. Quite a change in the temperatures of the atmosphere since yesterday noon. It was so cool last night and we have such a wind today that we and our animals have traveled more comfortably for it. Have come 18 miles today and have taken it so deliberately that it has been easy for us. The hunters came in last night well loaded. They had been in the mountains two days after game killed three elks and two antelopes. This is the first elk meat we have had and is the last opportunity we expect to have of taking any more game. We think ours will last until we reach the salmon fishery at Snake Falls. Thus we are well provided for all the way contrary to our expectations. August 11th Thursday. Tuesday and Wednesday have been very tedious days, both for man and beast. Lengthy marches without water. Not so tedious today for length, but the route has been rocky and sandy. August 12th, Friday. Raised camp this morning at sunrise came two hours ride to the salmon fishery and obtained and boiled for our breakfast. Find it good for eating. Friday Eve. Dear Harriet, the little trunk you gave me has come with me so far and now I must leave it here alone. Poor little trunk. I am so sorry to leave thee. Twenty miles below the falls on Snake River. Farewell, little trunk. I thank thee for thy faithful services and that I have been cheered by thy presence so long. The hills are so steep that husband thought it best to lighten the wagon as much as possible and take nothing but the wheels. I regret leaving anything that came from home, especially that trunk, but it is best. It would have been better for us not to have attempted to bring any baggage, only what necessary to use on the way. If I were to make this journey again, I would make quite different preparations. To pack and unpack so many times and cross so many streams where the packs frequently get wet requires no small amount of labor, besides the injury done to the articles. Our books, what few we have, have been wet several times. The custom of the country is to possess nothing and then you will lose nothing when traveling. Farewell for the present. August 13th, Saturday. 
Dear H, Mr. McKay has asked the privilege of taking the little trunk along so that my soliloquy about it last night was for naught. We have come at least 15 miles and have had the worst route in all the journey for the cart. They were preparing to cross Snake River. The river is divided by two islands into three branches and is fordable. The packs are placed upon the top of the highest horses and in this way crossed without wetting. Two of the tallest horses were selected to carry Mrs. S. and myself over. Husband had considerable difficulty in crossing the cart. Both the cart and the mules were capsized in the water and the mules entangled in the harness. They would have drowned but for desperate struggle to get them ashore. Then, after putting two of the strongest horses before the cart and two men swimming behind to steady it, they succeeded in getting it over. I once thought that crossing streams would be the most dreadful part of the journey. I can now cross the most difficult stream without the least fear. There is one maneuver of crossing which husband has tried, but I have not, neither do I wish to. Take an elk skin and stretch it over you, spreading yourself out as much as possible. Then let the Indian women carefully put you on the water, and with a cord in the mouth, they will swim and drag you over. Edward, how do you think you would like to ride this way? August 15th. Yesterday, Mr. McLeod, with most of his men, left us, wishing to hasten his arrival at Snake Fort, leaving us a pilot and his weakest animals to come in with us at our leisure. This was a relief, for it is difficult to bring our cattle up to the speed they wish to travel. We have had such a cool wind today, and it has been so comfortable traveling that we have made better progress than usual. We passed the hot springs just before noon, which are quite a curiosity. Boiled a bit of dry salmon in one of them in five minutes. August 19th. Arrived at Snake Ford about noon. It is situated on Big Wood River, so called because the timber is larger than any to be seen this side of the mountains. Snake Fort is owned and built by Mr. McKay one of company whom we expect to leave here. He, with Mr. McLeod, gave us a hearty welcome. Mr. McLeod was ready to leave on the morrow, but said he would stay a day longer to give us the opportunity of doing some necessary work, for which we were thankful. August 20th, Saturday. Last night I put my clothes in water and this morning finished washing before breakfast. I find it not very agreeable to do such work in the middle of the day when I have no shelter to protect me from the sun's scorching rays. This is the third time I have washed since I left the States, or home either. Once at Fort Williams and at Rendezvous, Mr. McLeod called this eve to see if we were ready to leave. Observed that we had been so engaged in labor as to have no time for rest and proposed for our sakes the ladies, to remain over the Sabbath. This, I can assure you, was a favor for which we can never be too thankful. 
for as our souls need the rest of the Sabbath as well as our bodies. Narcissa, along with her husband Marcus and the rest of the party, reached the Walla Walla, Washington area on September 1, 1836. During that time, she became one of the first two white women to cross the continent over land, and in 1837, she had the first child born of American parents in Oregon country. Her journey proved women could cross the country on foot, opening the door for several generations of emigrants to embark on the Oregon Trail. Narcissa and her husband lived in Oregon for over 10 years as missionaries, dispensing farming and medical advice while preaching to the local tribes. Earlier fur traders had brought infectious disease to the area, so when an outbreak of measles took hold, tribal leaders blamed the settlers. And on November 29th of 1847, several men, secretly bearing hatchets and guns, visited Marcus Whitman under the pretense of a medical visit. In the ensuing attack, Narcissa lost her life, along with her husband and 11 other emigrants. The attack horrified Americans and impacted the lives of the peoples of the Columbia Plateau for decades. Today, the story of the Whitmans and their time in Washington lives on at the Whitman Mission National Historic Site. The park is located in southeastern Washington, seven miles west of Walla Walla, off of Highway 12. The grounds are open all year, sunrise to sunset, and the visitor center is open daily during the summer and closed Mondays and Tuesdays during the winter. There's no fee to enter, and the site includes the original mission, a mass grave where Marcus and Narcissa Whitman are buried, the Whitman Memorial Obelisk, and a small museum inside the visitor center. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, and written and narrated by Abigail Trebu. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. We'll link to all of our social media and more in the show notes at nationalparkpodcast.com. If you're interested in RV travel, give us a listen over at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and I as we travel the country with our three boys at OurWanderingFamily.com. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood stream waters This land was made for you and me Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks